2: Welcome to this week's episode of Dirt Radio, Friends of the Earth's weekly show on 3CR. My name's M. am going to be your host for today, and we're coming at you live from the 3CR studios on Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded on these lands. So joining me today secretly behind the panel is Megan. She's going to be keeping things running for us today. So thanks for all your secret work behind the scenes. And I'm also going to be speaking with Jim Green. So Jim's a longtime anti-nuclear activist with Friends of the Earth. And in the past few months, we've seen a sort of worrying resurgence of some pro-nuclear arguments. And whilst the science says nuclear is not the way to go, far-right politicians like Tony Abbott and Clive Palmer can't seem to stop talking about how we need to go nuclear. So we're going to be chatting to Jim about some of the reasons why that's been coming up and talking through some of the common pro-nuclear arguments that you might come across. So this year at Friends of the Earth... We're celebrating 45 years of resistance. So that's 45 years that we've been mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces of patriarchy and capitalism, and transforming our future to be free of destructive uranium mines, waste dumps and nuclear reactors. And before we get into the bulk of the show today, I just wanted to give you a quick update on the situation up at the Jaborang Embassy. So I'm sure if you are a 3CR listener, you've been keeping up with the situation regularly of the planned destruction by Vic Rhodes of the sacred trees and the Jabbarung cultural landscape. So if you're a Dirt Radio listener out there, I definitely encourage you to get up to Jabbarung country and support the frontline struggle. So The most recent alert that we've had from the embassy is cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. Major roads are seeking them in court. We'll not concede our land. This is our sovereignty as survivors of the Jabberung, and our duty as warriors to protect this land. This is the front line. We need you here now to defend sacred country. There can be no treaty while our land is desecrated and we are threatened in this way. So if you can get up there, it's just off the Western Highway near Ararat, go up for the day or head up for a few nights or the week, whatever you're able to. It's all um, important to give your support where you can. So we'll be speaking with Jim Green just after this community service
1: announcement. The Renegade Pub Football League proudly presents its inaugural Pride Round, Paint in Victoria Park, Rainbow on Saturday, August 24th. Celebrating diversity in pub football, this free community event offers a laid-back afternoon of gender-inclusive Aussie Rules football, alongside DJs and a charity barbecue. Saturday, August 24th, gates open at 12.30. For more information, including pub footy's August and September fixture, visit www.rpfl.com.au. The Renegade Pub Football League is a 3CR supporter.
2: This is Dirt Radio. We're talking nuclear energy myths and the harsh realities of the nuclear industry today. So anti-nuclear is Friends of the Earth's longest running campaign. And since the 1970s, the anti-nukes activists have been working to reshape the narrative around nuclear energy and help to inform the public on some of the lies that get spread about pro-nuclear. So unfortunately, as time goes on, even though it has been a long battle, we do see waves of pro-nuclear sentiment coming up all the time. So the anti-nukes campaigners are always there to get on the front foot and help inform people about the dangers, racism and unethical practices of this toxic industry. So someone who's been really involved in the anti-nukes story for quite some time is Dr. Jim Green who's joining me today to talk through this wave of far-right support for nuclear currently. So how's it going today, Jim?
0: Yeah, good, Em. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Thanks for joining us in the studio. Sure. So we're seeing another wave of some pro-nuclear arguments coming from the sort of far-right politicians. You recently wrote an article about how nuclear has entered into the culture wars. So why do you think that nuclear power is having a resurgence with these people at the moment?
0: Well, it is the far right and Mm. they're just trying to pick a fight. They're trying to pick a fight with what they describe as the green left or cultural Marxists Mm. or however they describe us. But also some of them are trying to pick a fight within their own parties. So Barnaby Joyce is trying to get some media and some profile by promoting nuclear power and that's his way of uh, getting back into the leadership of the National Party and, and the Deputy Prime Ministership and doubling his salary because he's doing it so tough on 200 grand a year. So, um, yeah, it's culture wars. It's picking fights with the left and picking fights within their own party. And uh, it's interesting because support for nuclear power pretty much stops with the hard right. Mm. You know, if you were to think of, the say, the 10 stupidest politicians in Australia, well, that's the list of politicians who support nuclear power and they're the only ones who support nuclear power.
2: Yeah. And so what would you say that they're how would you categorise their their arguments for nuclear at the moment?
0: Well, ignorant. I mean, <laughs> they just run all the exact same odd stuff we've yeah. been literally hearing for decades. Yeah. But the one that really grates at the moment is the argument that it's cheap. Yeah. Because, uh, well, it never has been and it certainly isn't now and that's the biggest crisis facing the industry is that costs have blown out drastically. So... Under the Howard government, going back about 13 years, uh, they commissioned Ziggy Switkowski to do a review mm. so we can repair the cost estimates that Ziggy Switkowski produced with the real world figures over the past decade, and costs have increased fourfold. Uh, va- and at the same time, renewables have become cheaper, you know, mm. probably four times cheaper, depending on what you're measuring. So there's been this spectacular turnaround and renewables are clearly cheaper Mm. than nuclear and even cheaper than uh, fossil fuels for for new plants. Yeah, Um, The the economics gets more complicated than that because you've got transmission and infrastructure and backup and all those sorts of things. But as as a first pass, renewables are vastly cheaper than nuclear and uh, arguably cheaper than fossil fuels.
2: Mm. And it seems like there does sort of seem to be a connection between you know, people who are pro-coal and pro-nuclear, almost as if they want to just sub one in for the other. Is that something that you see with these people? Yeah,
0: it's interesting. I mean, insofar as there's any logical rationale to that, it's they support the, uh, the old-style system mm. uh, of baseload centralised plants yeah. uh, and long transmission infrastructures and so on and so forth, um, and they can't get their heads around an alternative power generation universe uh, but also, I mean, I think it's cruder than that. It's say the companies funding the Minerals Council of Australia. Yeah. BHP, for example, has got uh, economic interests in both fossil fuels and in and in uranium. Mm. And for the hard right ideologues, uh, you know, they support coal, they support nuclear, they hate renewables, they hate mm. environmentalists. It's just part of the whole package.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so I guess it seems like something that people in the main, in the sort of public, also seem to struggle to get their head around too, is um, that we need a baseload power source or something that nuclear, if it enters into the system, is going to provide that for us.
0: Yeah, well, it's such a transition period at the moment, mm. and uh, we don't really know what the electricity grid of the future is going to look like but it's going to be radically different from the one we've got now and it's going to involve a lot of um, renewables Mm -hmm. uh, which aren't always intermittent you know hydro biofuels etc can provide reliable power and then with intermittent solar and wind you need backup through pumped hydro or batteries Mm and so on. So uh, yeah, we're mo- we're definitely moving towards this this brave new universe of, uh, of decentralised renewables. We just don't quite know what it's going to look like yet.
2: Yeah. And the way I see it too is why would we invest in nuclear right now when we should be investing in renewables anyway?
0: Yeah. And also to get back to that point about the new uh, energy systems that are evolving, mm-hmm. um, what place does a thousand megawatt base load plant having that it just provides inflexibility it's mm. the last thing that you want yeah so for renewables you could say uh you know you want uh, intermittent renewables backed up by uh baseload renewables if we can use that term or by storage a clunky 1000 megawatt plant that has to operate 24 7 in order order to make a profit it's just doesn't fit
2: mm. yeah so it's not where we're going Um, Mm. And something else that I think is a really important thing to mention that um, I think the Anti-Nuclear Collective does a good job of talking about is the link between the weapons, nuclear weapons and nuclear waste. Do you think that that's part of this argument for the culture wars as well?
0: I don't think so. Mm. I I think if we were privy to discussions that are going on in Canberra in the Department of Foreign Affairs and elsewhere, we would be horrified and alarmed because... They're definitely gaming what happens if the alliance with the US falls apart Mm. and whether Australia should build nuclear weapons. And and the cutting edge of that argument is, well, obviously Australia is not going to be building nuclear weapons anytime soon, but they could easily think that it's prudent for Australia to take steps in that direction Mm. by training up large numbers of scientists and engineers, uh, developing some of the infrastructure, the nuclear infrastructure. So that would gel really well with the idea of, of, of developing nuclear power as a stepping stone towards nuclear weapons. And that's what Australia's done in the past. The yeah. only serious push for nuclear power in Australia was underpinned by a weapons agenda, as, as Prime Minister John Gorton later acknowledged. So, yeah, I am I am worried about that and how yeah. that will play out. I guess I think the main conclusion in Canberra at the moment would be they've got Lucas Heights uh, run by the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation. So they've got that base level of expertise and Mm. nuclear infrastructure and that will do for the time being and that nuclear power is just a bit too much to bite off at the moment.
2: Yeah and so something else that um, I guess is important to mention too is that often the people who are bringing up these arguments don't really care about um, the radioactive racism that's gone on in Australia?
0: Yeah, well, that would be part of the whole far-right thing again, wouldn't (laughs) it? I mean, a lot of us are disturbed by the way the nuclear industry dispossesses and disempowers Aboriginal people, Mm. but for the far-right, that would just be one more advantage for for nuclear power and the nuclear industry. But it's just unbelievable. You literally wouldn't believe some of the things that are still going on. I mean... Mm. The National Radioactive Waste Management Act is meant to be a world's best practice, modern piece of legislation to uh, deal with Australia's radioactive waste and it, it, it strips all rights from Aboriginal people with just about every piece of legislation, state and federal. Mm. Uh, so feeble land rights protections and feeble heritage protections are just wiped away. As simple as that. And like there's no logical reason for doing that. If you're gonna do that for radioactive waste, why don't you do it for everything? And it's appalling. And they get away with it. And they get away with it for many reasons, but two that jump to mind are that there's bipartisan radioactive racism in Australia. You know, the legislation I just mentioned, which is so appalling, that was Labour legislation from, from Martin Ferguson. And the other reason is that the media is so appalling on this stuff. You know, they, mm. there's uh, legal challenges launched by traditional owners against a planned national nuclear waste dump in South Australia and sure that'll get a run in most of the media when there's some particular development but there's no analysis, there's no following this stuff through and mm. connecting connecting the dots. It's just occasional reporting of particular events.
2: Mm. Yeah, like I think I read in um, your article that... It yeah, it cancels out native title, which is, um, you know, sort of pretty ridiculous. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, it's just so offensive and yeah. and indefensible. I mean, if the politicians had to give a rational argument as to why native title laws and heritage protection laws should be curtailed or negated altogether, then they couldn't possibly give an answer. Mm. Uh, but they're not asked to give an answer because the media doesn't really care. Yeah. And because this problem is bipartisan.
2: Yeah, I guess it just goes to showing how, um, you know, issues of Indigenous sovereignty and um, kind of peeling back the colonial framework and lens are all really tied in with kind of changing people's attitudes on these issues of nuclear and um, dumps and that kind of thing. Yep. Mm. So what I'm getting is that the idea of nuclear that's kind of coming at the moment is pretty just a far right. It doesn't have much traction Beyond that, do you think? How do you think that those opinions land with the mainstream or through the media with with the pub, general public?
0: Yeah, I've got absolutely no idea at the <laughs> moment, really. I mean, I've been filing opinion polls for twenty years. Mm. I've got a long list of them, but I don't think they really give us an awful lot of insight. Mm-hmm. There was one from the Guardian recently, which had support for nuclear power at forty-four percent and opposition at forty percent. So that was a big win for the pro-nuclear crowd. But I suspect that that uh, result might have been framed by a by a leading question, mm. possibly. Anyway, it's certainly a bit of an outlier. Most of the polls over the past decade have ex- uh, demonstrated that opposition exceeds support. And mm-hmm. also, even this latest poll, it had only 28% of people supporting the idea of uh, living in the vicinity of a nuclear power plant. Yeah. So you're always going to have that problem. And that's why... Uh, often this debate turns around locations, so Labor's been quite strong on nuclear power for, for all its faults mm. recently, so whenever the government talks about nuclear power, the Labor Party says, well, which locations, and they point to previous studies about about where power reactors might be located, because there would be a massive fight in any, any location uh, targeted for nuclear power plant. Mm.
2: Yeah, which I guess, again, goes back to that kind of radioactive racism and where politicians feel like it's okay to situate that kind of toxic um, industry.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the radioactive waste too, that's uh, – currently the federal government is targeting two sites in in South Australia for for Australia's waste, most of which comes from Lucas Heights, from the research reactor. Yeah. Yeah. But opposition from traditional owners, it's not unanimous, it never is, Mm. it rarely is. But um, it's clear majority opposition and opposition from the two representative bodies, the Bangala Determination Aboriginal Corporation and also ATLA, which is Adnamatna Traditional Lands Association. Uh, They're clear in their opposition. They're fighting through the courts and through the Human Rights Commission. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's dragging on and on but um so we really don't ha- know how that's going to play out but you would think after the history in south australia with the bomb tests yeah. which still cause a, a huge amount of grief and intergenerational trauma and still there's still the dislocation arising from all of that plus decades of uranium mining plus a successful campaign against the Howard government which wanted to dump in south australia and then the recent trauma of the South Australian government trying to uh, promote a uh, international high-level waste import business for mm. South Australia, you know, which was really troubling. But thankfully that one more or less died after 18 months or so. So it's not on the agenda, but it's like as soon as people get off up off the ground after their last battle, they'd just get punched in the face again. So it's just got to stop. And I don't know how it's going to stop, but it's just full on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a a big fight and it's been um, going on for such a long time now that it's um, it's really impressive and amazing the strength that the um, traditional owners and the activists have had all this time to keep
0: going. Yeah, well... uh Traditional owners have had to keep going. Mm. You know, when the Howard government was targeting South Australia, it was uh, six years. Uh, it was hard work. Most of the elderly Aboriginal women who fo- who led that fight were based in Cooper Pedi. So, um, you know, a trip from Cooper Pedy to Adelaide is about nine hours and yeah. they were doing it in the back of a truck sitting on wooden benches. Mm. Elderly women, they're just absolutely hardcore. But they kept going for six months. They kept s- saying that the government's got to get its ears out of its pockets. And after six long years, the government did do that, if yeah. only because they were frightened of losing uh, seats in the uh, 2004 federal election in South Australia. And for Mukherjee traditional owners in the Northern Territory who were then targeted, that was eight years. So incredible resilience mm. and strength. Yeah. But also it took a huge toll. Yeah. A yeah. massive toll on uh, Kukutu and everyone who fought under the Howard government and a massive toll for Mukherjee mob.
2: Mm. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, it's even though power, nuclear power kind of gets – a bit more spin in the media and through these politicians, it seems like the real threat is really the waste dumps.
0: Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, And uranium mining as well. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, waste dumps. And so that's probably our number one priority at the moment. Yeah. We'll we'll certainly respond to this push for nuclear power and we'll put in a submission to uh, the federal government's inquiry, which was just uh, announced a couple of days ago. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah, trying to stop the uh, government imposing nuclear waste dumps on Aboriginal land in South Australia. That's definitely priority number one.
2: Yeah. And also, of course, there's the Uleary court case and um, uranium mining going over in Western Australia as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was just so sad. Um, You know, it was rejected by the Mm. WA government because of an unacceptable risk of causing Species Extinction to Microfauna, yeah. Uh, then Cameco, the mining company. Its appeal was rejected. But then just before the WA election, the uh, Liberal Minister approved the mine, despite the advice from, mm. from his department. So that was appalling. And then the federal government, the federal minister, Melissa Price, said she wouldn't approve the mine until a court case had been resolved, a mm. court case challenging the WA approvals. But she did it anyway. She did it the day before the federal election was yeah. called and she failed to announce that publicly. So it's just like they can get away with absolute murder. Yeah. Uh, and there was a court challenge which unfortunately wasn't successful but uh, that that may be appealed. Mm. We can take a little bit of comfort from the fact that the nuclear power in crisis around the world and that means that the uranium industry is in crisis. And, yeah. Uh, even with its approvals, it's hard to see yearly going ahead anytime soon. Perhaps mm. we'd be pretty confident of what happened for at least a decade, but still a, a really bad outcome nonetheless.
2: Yeah. And, yeah, it's just, um, there's been, you know, so many stories of the anti-nuclear, um, campaigners and traditional owners doing so much amazing work over the years, but the fight still goes on. And it seems like it's sort of a bit of a never-ending battle.
0: Yeah, I think so. Although, uh, you know, it's a, it's a long shot and it's highly optimistic, but nuclear power really is in crisis. Mm-hmm. I mean, say in the U.S., uh, just to give one example, um, they were planning to build thirty odd reactors, mm-hmm. and Obama was pro-nuclear, and everyone's throwing money at the industry, but only four construction only began on four reactors. Two of them were abandoned after they had already spent thirteen billion Australian wow. dollars. And two are going ahead, but the cost has doubled. So, the, for, uh, for each of those reactors, the cost has doubled from 10 billion to 20 billion Australian dollars. Wow. So, 40 billion dollars for two reactors. And uh, so, for example, the head of Exelon, which is the major nuclear company in the US, he's recently said there's not going to be any more nuclear p- plants built in the US. Full stop. Mm. It's as simple as that so possibly there's an end in sight if renewables keep getting cheaper and storage gets a whole lot cheaper and we get some half-decent politicians then um it is possible to see the end to this industry but not not anytime soon
2: and i think i mean i think hearing those costs it really blows the nuclear power's cheaper argument out of the water so hopefully we can uh yeah we can see a bit of a turnaround. So where, if there's any listeners out there who feel concerned or compelled by what we've spoken about today, where would you direct them to?
0: Uh, I would direct them to your local anti-nuclear group and uh, you can probably find details for your local group at at one of our FOE websites, which is nuclear.foe.org.au and you'll find a contact section there or, or give me a ring at the FOE Melbourne office, but um. Yeah, it's uh, better active today than radioactive tomorrow.
2: Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jim. There's so much to cover and you've got such great insights into the industry.
0: Yeah, that's a pleasure, Em. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Uh, This is Dirt Radio. My name's Em. I'm your host for today. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. It's just gone about 9.50. We'll be back just after this.
1: Red Alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung Country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurung traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurung country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty.
2: This is Dirt Radio. My name's M, and today we've just been chatting with Jim Green from the Anti-Nuclear Collective at Friends of the Earth, just talking about some of the pro-nuclear arguments that have resurfaced at the moment and uh, some of the real threats from the nuclear industry in so-called Australia. So if you missed that interview or any of our other shows, you can always catch up on a podcast. They are available from 3cr.org.au slash dirt radio, and you can find lots of our interesting stuff there. And at the moment, it, we had our Radical Radiothon at 3CR wrapping up in June. But as you know, it always rolls on, the hard work that's going on here. And if you'd like to still make a donation, there's always time. We are still trying to reach our target of $250,000. So if you wanted to make a donation to Dirt Radio or just to 3CR in general, hop on the website, 3cr.org.au, or give the station a call, 94198377. And now it's time to chat events at Friends of the Earth before we head off for the day. So there is a Transform Waste new member dinner. It's tomorrow night, Wednesday, the 7th of August at 7.30pm at Friends of the Earth. So if you're interested in getting involved in Transform Waste but want to know where the collective's what they're all about, Um, you can come along to that. It's an informal dinner and they'll tell you a bit about what the collective are doing and some easy opportunities to get involved. The recycling crisis is continuing at the moment with at least 15 councils still being forced to dump recycling in landfill, which is pretty scary. And after that, the collective meetings are regularly on at 6pm Wednesdays. So if you can't make that dinner, get along then. This Friday, August 9th, 12 to 1pm, we're also going to have a People's Barricade against Oceana Gold... And that's a support rally for um, our comrades in the Philippines. It's happening at 357 Collins Street, Melbourne. And so join this rally for the People's Barricade against Oceana's Gold's destructive Didapio Mega Mine in Nueva Vizcaya, Philippines. So Oceana Gold continued to operate the mine after its license expired. So on June 21st, local villagers from Didapio in Kasibu Town set up people's barricades to prevent the illegal operations. So we're going to give some support and solidarity to the local Indigenous community over there and help support um, an end to destructive Australian mining in the global south. And the last one we've got coming up in a few weeks on Saturday, August the 17th, is a doco screening at the Friends of the Earth Yami Lester Room, 2, p- 2 till 4.30pm, it's the Wick versus Queensland documentary. So Wick v. Queensland is a landmark feature documentary surrounding the historical court decision in 1996 by the High Court of Australia granting native title to the Wick people of Cape York and the de- demonisation that followed at the hands of the politicians and the media. So with unique access to the key players of that moment in history and featuring never-before-seen footage of the then young Noel Pearson and Marsha Langton, The movie tells a very personal story against the backdrop of a tumultuous time in Queensland's history. So get along to that one if you can. I've heard that that's a really amazing doco. I might even uh, go check that one out. So that's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for joining us and stick around on 3CR for more excellent programming. Up next, we've got Career Survival Show. Thanks again, Megan, for uh, silently helping out on the panel today and make sure you tune in next week, 930 Uh, Tuesdays for the next installment of Dirt Radio. And today we're going to be heading out on the song Gemini by Hextet. So have a great Tuesday.